What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Samantha Edlin on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. Samantha, I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you like. Okay. Thanks, Shelly, and thanks for having me on here today. Um, I just want to start by saying thank you for having this platform. So I listen to this like every day on my way to work, and I think it's just like a mix of me like nodding emphatically, crying, and like laughing. And I think that's like what gets me ready to like <laughs> tackle the work. <laughs> Good. Uh, that makes me happy. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll start kind of where everybody starts, um, where I met my husband. So we've been together for 10 years now, married for five of those. Um, we met at the University of Iowa in like 2009 um, during our second semester of college. So like right after break, uh, we went to dinner I guess we had all these mutual friends so it's like crazy that we didn't meet each other our first semester um but we were all getting together as like a welcome back and ready to start our second semester dinner and it was all of us sitting at the table and there was this like curly headed guy sitting across from me and I was like "Hmm, he's kind of cute I wonder if I'll date him I wasn't thinking like hey I wonder if I'll marry him (laughs) which I did so um we started dating pretty quickly and we've really just been inseparable ever since he's like my best friend and um we've just kind of like grown up together because we we met at 19 and and i'm just really thankful for having him through through this whole journey um i think for me i've wanted to be a mom more than anything since i was like pretty young I worked at a daycare when I was in high school and I worked in the infant and toddler rooms and I I just like fell in love with it. Like those were just like the best ages. And I was like, I can't wait to be a mom. I'm a teenager. So I need to do a few more things first, maybe, but I just can't wait to be a mom. Um, so we talked about having kids, you know, luckily we were on the same page about that. Like we both wanted kids. Um, so I'm an only child and I think it was like fine for me. Like I'm close with my parents because of it and it didn't really bother me growing up. But like, as I've gotten older, it's made me really want like a bigger family. Like I love kids. And then, you know, like as your parents age, you know, it's like, I see people with siblings who kind of have each other to go through with that. So that's something that I definitely want for my kids. Um, and then <laughs> before we, started trying and realized that it's not just you get whatever you want going into like trying to have kids and being pregnant um we used to always joke because Zach always said he wanted two and I always said I wanted three um so I would always joke and say we'd compromise and we'd have three (laughs) um but we dated um so I went for chemical engineering and then I took a job with a fortune 500 company that does manufacturing in town because he was staying an extra year because he was double majoring um and so two years into my first job um which was like five minutes from where I went to school uh one of my favorite managers offered me a role in North Carolina where he had just transferred and I had grown up in the south and I was ready to go back to like better weather (laughs) um 
that was the year that we had like the polar vortex or whatever. And with one day with wind chill, it was negative 55. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I gotta leave. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> so um, I went home and talked to Zach and we made the decision that night that we were going to transfer. Um, so you'll probably tell later in our story, we like to do all the big things all at once. Uh, so the summer I transferred, we also got married and we bought our first house. Um, and then I also work at a manufacturing plant now in North Carolina. Um, and so I worked here for probably a year and a half before we decided, okay, like we're settled, we're ready, like let's start trying. Uh, so that was December, 2015. Uh, we started um, like tracking, like I'm a bit of like a perfectionist. So, you know, I was already tracking everything like the very first cycle. Um, and we were really excited because we got pregnant right away, like that first cycle. Um, and I felt like I was doing everything right, like you know, taking my prenatals, doing a light workout, eating healthy, tracking everything, you know, reading everything about, you know, early pregnancy and what to do. Um, and I actually started having morning sickness the day I got a positive pregnancy test, which at the time I didn't think anything of, but later on I kind of looked back and realized, okay, maybe that was a sign. Um, but the way I told, like, I told my family right away. So like, I'm really close to, to my mom and the way my mom and her sister had told their parents that they were pregnant is they had a florist go to their parents' house and drop off a bouquet of flowers that said from your pregnant daughter. And then they had the florist go back to the car and then wait a few minutes and then go back to the house with another bouquet and say from your other pregnant daughter which I thought was like a really cute way that they That's adorable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so when I found out I was pregnant, like I talked to my mom every day and it was so hard, like not to like tell her like that second, but I got on the phone with the florist and I called right away and I was like, Hey, you know, can you send this and you can, you say from your pregnant daughter. And so my mom like got the flowers and like, I think she like knew, but she looked at the card and you know, we were all just like so excited to like celebrate this together um so then I could talk to her about it which is really nice um but as the day started going by I started getting sicker um like morning sickness um way more often and a lot more violently <laughs> like just like extreme nausea throw up awful but I still just thought that was normal I'm like hey you know people get morning sickness you know this is fine um but at six weeks I was I was so sick and I was just like getting worried. So I called my, um, my OB has like a nurse line that you can call and like ask questions. Um, so I called and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm getting sick a lot and you know, I'm worried about it. You know, do I need to come in? And they're like, no, like it's morning sickness. Everybody gets sick. And I was like, are you sure? And the nurse kind of like, was like, okay, well, how many times have you thrown up in the last 24 hours? And I was like 20. And she's like, Oh honey, you need to go to the emergency room. And so that was kind of like the first sign that like, hey, this probably wasn't super normal. Um, so I went to the emergency room and they said, you know, obviously I was very dehydrated and I needed to be on antiemetics. Um, that's a whole thing too. There are ones that for, are safe for pregnancy and then more extreme ones that are technically safe for pregnancy, but they're a little more controversial. So they started me with kind of the, the most basic one, but it doesn't work quite as well. Um, but while we were in the emergency room, we had an ultrasound and we saw the baby and the heartbeat and it was measuring right. And it had a strong heartbeat, even being pretty early on. Um, 
so that was all really good to see. Um, and at this point in the pregnancy, I wound up being in the hospital at least once a week to get IV fluids, um, sometimes every few days. Um, and because of this and because of like all the regular appointments that I had too, um, I was seeing baby on the ultrasound at least once a week. Um, and again, always a super strong heartbeat, always measuring on track, like no reason to think anything was going wrong. Um, so there was a time where I was at the hospital, I was probably like eight weeks and I was like receiving IV fluids and I was just laying there feeling like terrible. And the nurse came back in the room and she's like talking to me and I'm like, well, when does this morning sickness get better? And she said, you don't have morning sickness. You have hyperemesis gravidarum. And so that's the first time I had ever heard that, even though it was in my chart, like none of the doctors or nurses had like told me that they had just been kind of treating my, my symptoms. Um, so hyperemesis, um, it's a rare pregnancy condition. It's associated with like severe nausea and vomiting, usually causes dehydration, doesn't allow you to keep much of any food down. Um, it's generally characterized by losing over 5% of your body weight. Um, and usually people who have this too tend to have high HCG levels as well. Um, so you know how they say like it should double every 48 hours or so? Mine doubles every 30 hours. So it goes up by like five times every time I test like two days. So my levels were always like weirdly high. Um, and at this point I was losing like three or four pounds a week and I wasn't able to keep any food or water down. Uh, like anytime I drink water, like I just immediately throw it back up. Um, and I had to go out of work on short-term disability. Um, so at this point, I asked my mom to come up and help me. You know, I'd have basically been talking to her about it all along. But when she got here, she just said she had no idea how bad it was until she saw me. She said, because I looked gray. She's just like, you looked gaunt and like your skin just didn't look normal. You looked gray. Um, and so really the only thing I was able to eat during that time were cold apples. <laughs> and cranberry juice, which is like weird, but it's the only stuff I could keep down. Um, and then like, I couldn't even have like a blanket on me because like the weight of a blanket on my stomach was enough to make me throw up. Um, I couldn't watch TV very much because like the flashing images would make me throw up. Um, I was put on bed rest and then the antiemetics they put you on so you don't throw up so much um, actually caused maybe it's TMI, but they cause really bad constipation, which if you're constipated too long causes nausea. So it's like this vicious cycle. Um, Nothing is TMI on this, by the okay. way. <laughs> good, good. We're always talking about super like in-depth personal things on here. <laughs> oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> so my mom actually wound up living with us um, for a few months because of this. Um, because I just needed help to do everything. Like I needed help even to get to like the bathroom on my own. Um, and then around eight weeks, I developed another symptom, which I would argue is the symptom I hate the most. Um, it's excess saliva. Um, so I found out from my doctor, it's called tylism, like that starts with a P. So it's like pterodactyl sort of, so tylism. <laughs> <laughs> and it's ridiculous. So I have all this extra saliva in my mouth that tastes terrible. And so if I spit it out, I get more dehydrated. But if I swallow it, I immediately projectile vomit, which also makes me dehydrated. So like a no-win situation. And I'm already dehydrated from having the hyperemesis. 
Um, so the really crazy thing is, so both of these things, tylosis and hyperemesis, aren't that common. Um, but my husband's mom actually had both with her pregnancies. Um, unfortunately, um, she passed away when my husband was a kid, so I wasn't able to talk to her. But um, my father-in-law um, obviously was there for all of that and has been able to like give us some like really good tips all the way of like what mild foods worked for her, like spitting in a tissue. So like you don't have to like bend over, which doesn't feel good on the stomach that's nauseous all the time uh, to spit. And so his family has been really helpful in that because they have a unique perspective. I feel like most people don't. Um, so I would spit in tissues or always carry like a spit cup with me, you know, real, real sexy there. Um, <laughs> or this like little <laughs> plastic bag, like that I carried everywhere. And so I would have to spit probably like every 30 seconds, like the entire pregnancy. <laughs> oh my and, gosh. I've never heard of this. So it's yeah. really interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's awful. <laughs> um, which is why like, I don't know. I almost feel like it's worse than the hyperemesis. Like that's horrible too, but this is like, it's like in your face. Cause it's like every 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And so at night I would have to sleep with a towel, like hanging out of my mouth so that like it could just flow out at night. <laughs> um, and so throughout all this, like we continued to see the baby every week. And the only issue was like my health. And, um, I had always heard, you know, morning sickness is like a good sign, you know, it means everything is going well. You know, I had some of the nurses tell me that, um, when I was at the hospital and I was like constantly reassured that even though I wasn't doing well, the baby was like perfect in the, in early pregnancy, like they take anything you need, anything that they need, even if you don't have it, like if they need calcium, they'll just take it from your bones. Like, even if I'm not getting nutrients, the baby's going to be fine from that aspect. Um, and so probably around the time I was 10 weeks, I remember talking to Zach and my mom and just being like, for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm considering maybe just having an only child. Cause this is so hard. <laughs> like I want kids more than anything, but this like, this is so difficult. Um, and so a little after that, I went in for a ch just like a regular checkup at my OB and she saw that I was still doing really poorly, even with the medication. Um, and so we made the decision to admit me to the hospital. Um, so I spent three days in the hospital getting fluids and meds and everything through an IV so that I was able to eat a little bit, get some of my strength back and kind of just like reset and like get my electrolytes back in balance. Like when you throw up a lot, those get off really fast. Um, so I was discharged on like a Friday afternoon. Um, and that evening when I went home, I went to the bathroom and I had a single drop of like old blood, like dark. And so like, I, you know, I feel like I had read enough to know, Hey, like a little bit of spotting can, you know, can be normal, especially if it's old blood, but you know, I still was like, well, you know, what's going on. Um, so I called the hospital cause I had literally just left, <laughs> um, and explained everything. And they told me over and over again, again like it's old blood it's one drop it's fine we're just here we just saw the baby we just saw the heartbeat like everything is fine like you're good <laughs> we're not you know don't even come back they're like just go to your next regular checkup which I had one um on like Tuesday that week so it was only a few days to wait so I was like okay you know they seemed really certain that everything was fine 
Um, so I went to my OB for like that checkup on Tuesday. Um, and since it was just like a regular checkup, my mom went with me and my husband stayed at work, you know, cause he's been taking so much time off because I'd been so sick. You know, we were just trying to like pick and choose which appointments he came to. Um, and so we weren't able to see my regular OB cause it's like a larger practice. And so like sometimes your doctor will be on call, like delivering babies. And so you wind up seeing somebody else. Um, and so we waited for over an hour with this like backup OB that we saw. Um, and when we saw him, we just spent like most of the time, like talking about my hyperemesis and the treatment. Um, and then he brought out like a little handheld ultrasound, like tiny little screen, um, that they had used before. Um, and so he looked around for a minute and he was like super casual and he was like, Hey, I'm like having a hard time seeing it on the, you know, the heartbeat on the tiny little ultrasound. She's like, I'm just going to send you to the, to the big screen so we can see it. And I think it was a combination of me just being like a little bit naive. Like this was my first pregnancy and like maybe in a little bit of shock too, because they sent us to the waiting room and my mom was texting my dad and I was texting Zach and, I, and we were like, you know, they, Hey, they can't find the heartbeat, but it's fine. Cause they just need the big screen. Like, I don't know. I guess, like I said, I guess I was in shock. Um, cause they seen it on the handheld before. So it didn't make sense that they just suddenly wouldn't be able to when the baby's bigger. Um, but when I texted Zach that he knew something was wrong. Um, and so he left work and started driving over. He didn't tell me at the time that that's what he was doing, but he only worked maybe 15 minutes away. So luckily he like realized he needed to come over and was already on his way by the time we were in the ultrasound. And so we went in with this very sweet ultrasound tech who like will come up a lot in my story. I like adore her. Um, but she brought me in and she did a transvaginal ultrasound. Um, and they had like the big screen, like up in front of you where you can see it. And so I saw our baby on the screen and I saw like for the first time, like I was able to see like little arms and the little legs, but the baby was like so still and like she was doing some measurements. And at one point, like I just blurted out, like there's no heartbeat. And she confirmed, she's like, yeah, you know, there, there's something wrong. Um, and so at this point, I'm just crying and saying over again, like, no, 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 no. And like, I just feel like, you know, I probably only did that for a minute, but it felt like I was just saying no over again for like an hour. Um, the ultrasound tech, she gave me like this huge hug and just held me for a long time while I cried. Um, and was just like so sweet to me during obviously like one of the worst moments of my life. Um, so my husband got there pretty soon after and they had told the front desk to watch out for him and like bring him back. Um, and I didn't have any clue how he'd react. So my husband's always been like this really like stoic, like not super emotional guy. Um, and so I, and I'm, you know, much more emotional. And I was just wondering like how we get through it. Like this is, this is probably gonna sound terrible. Like when we were younger and dating, I would always like joke that he was like emotionally dead inside because he just never showed like much emotion. <laughs> like he talked a lot. But, um, and so when he came in the room, like I, I could see the emotion on his face, which like, I don't want him in pain, but at the same time, like it was a relief because I knew like, okay, he's feeling this too. And we're going to, we're going to deal with this together. Um, so they sent us to see the OB again 
and the ultrasound tech, she like held me and like walked me down the hall while I'm like sobbing. Um, and the OB, he like said all the normal things, you know, like it's not your fault. Here are your options. Um, but he said with me being a little further along and the baby measuring in like the 11th week that he recommended a DNC. And I just, I know other people have talked about it on the show too, but like, and you feel like a little guilty, but like once I knew it was over, like I just wanted it to be over. Like the baby's not there anymore. Like just make this end because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's horrible. Um, so they sent me home and said they would call later that day and schedule it. Um, so we went home and I just remember like, it was one of the first warm days of spring and like, we didn't even go into the house. Like we walked around back and just sat on the back porch for a long time, just like talking and, um, making a few phone calls to like immediate family. Um, and then the like surgery scheduler at the office, she called later that afternoon and said they had a DNC available in two days. And so I started freaking out because I was terrified to start like miscarrying at home. And like the only thing going through my mind is like, I can't handle seeing the baby. Like I can't have this happen at home. Like I, I need to have the surgery. Um, And so I called back and trying to see if they could get me in earlier. And when I finally got a hold of the surgery scheduler again, I asked her if there was an early appointment and she said no. And, you know, I think, I don't know. I guess she was probably having a bad day, but I started crying and I tried to ask what I should start, which, what I should do if it started happening at home. But like, I was still in shock and I wasn't getting my words out and I was just like a mumbling mess and it was not, probably not clear what I was asking. Um, and she responded that the soonest appointment they had was the one she gave me and that it wasn't her fault. I was having a bad day. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's awful. Right? So I have a lot of negative feelings about that woman. <laughs> it's crazy, like, who you, who you, like, pick. Like, it really sticks with you if somebody says something or in the medical world. You know, like, one of the doctors that you see, one of the nurses, whoever you talk to on the phone, like, it really sticks with you. It does. Mm-hmm. It really does. I have, I have a lady that I just despise. <laughs> she has no idea. <laughs> Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I do not like this woman. (laughs) And so I did have to wait the day, like in between where, you know, I was carrying a dead baby. And I just thought that was the most morbid thing in the world. Um, And so one thing I did was that day I ordered a necklace like that has little, like an angel wing on it and a little pearl just to like because I wanted to wake up from the DNC not feeling so empty. So I, I bought this little necklace for myself that I, that I wore for a really long time um, for my daughter. Um, but the next day was the DNC. And I thought the hospital did a really nice job. Like if you're going in for a DNC, they have you go in through a different entrance and you don't have to see any of the other pregnant women because it's a women's hospital. Um, and so then all the nurses that they have that handle the DNCs, they have, um, they like purposely did that. They only have nurses who have had losses themselves so that they can kind of like give you maybe like better shoulder, or like better advice than maybe somebody who had never been through it and just has like the medical background on it. Um, and so then that OB, you know, not my regular OB, but this, this guy 
who I had seen the two days before came in and I just like remember being so annoyed with him and you know like I'm sure some of that's just because he gave me like the worst news in the world (laughs) but his bedside manner was just awful like he was very flippant and like I know other people who go to this practice and even in like live births people have commented they did they don't really like his bedside manner. Like he's not a bad person, but just like can't read a room, I guess. (laughs) Um, And he's always running behind. So like every time I've had to see him, I've had to wait at least an hour. And when you're going through like loss and uncertainty, like every minute waiting is just kind of torture. And so the anesthesiologist and the team of nurses came in too. And I just remember being rolled back to surgery on a gurney and just like breaking down crying before like everything just went dark. and everything went fine with the surgery, like no complications. Um, I woke up and went home a few hours later. Um, so the surgery didn't immediately make my hyperemesis or tylosin go away. It took two weeks to not have any pregnancy symptoms, which was like super cruel. Like you're not pregnant, you've already had the DNC. And what do you mean? I still feel pregnant. I'm still throwing up. Like I had a hard time like reconciling that. And I had already started like showing a little bit too, because I was so emaciated, like <laughs> the little bump was kind of obvious. Um, but by the end of that pregnancy, um, which had ended like just shy of 12 weeks, I had lost 24 pounds or about 15% of my body weight. And my muscles had atrophied from being on bed rest so long that I couldn't walk more than 30 feet or so without help. So it took a while to even physically start to feel normal again. Um, And at this point, we had to start telling people who knew. um, You know, it's kind of impossible for me to hide a pregnancy just with how severe mine are. Mm. Um, And it was really hard in the beginning because, like, at that point in my life, I didn't know anybody who had been through a miscarriage or I didn't know that they had. And so I didn't feel like I had anybody I could talk to, to just even ask, like, what do I expect? Like, what's going on? Like, is this normal to feel this way? Anything. Um, And so I had a friend at work who is like, she's the most amazing person. Um, I had met her. We had these lean in circles at work, you know, like the Sheryl Sandberg lean in book. So like our company did that based off of that. And so like I met like a group of women who um, worked at my company and she was one of them and she was actually pregnant at the same time that I had been, which is how, um, she kind of knew I was pregnant cause I had shared that with her. Um, and we had just kind of started to getting to know each other in this group. Um, and so she hadn't had a loss, but she had a friend who had, and who also had been through like a local support group. And so, um, she like, had her friend call me. She got together like a list of mentors at work who like mentored on managing like miscarriage and working at the same time. She like jumped in. I just feel like she was really, really there for me. And at that point, like we hadn't known each other very long or super well, but she was just like a rock for me, like during that first loss. Um, and she'll come up more later. Um, but her friend called me and we talked for probably an hour um, like she listened to my story. Um, 
she told me what had happened to her and answered like all the questions I had about the local support group because we were considering going. Um, and I just remember the, like the one thing that stuck out that she told me and she said, one day you'll be able to tell your story. And all I can think in my head was, I don't want a story. I just want my baby. Mm -hmm. um, so like, it's really healing to tell your story, but I think like, especially in those early days, like <laughs> that, that's how I was feeling. Um, and the interesting part about that is her friend who called me, I actually got to meet her for the first time like three weeks ago. And I got to tell her how much that call meant to me. So that was, that was a really special moment that happened recently. Um, and so I'm a bit of a perfectionist, which is probably why I went into engineering. Um, and so this probably sounds crazy, but I was determined, like, if I have to go through this and if I was going to grieve, I was going to do the best job ever at grieving. Like, I was going to do everything. And so I started seeing a grief counselor with uh, hospice. So that was recommended to me because this particular grief counselor had had um, losses of her own. And so she specialized in treating grief for people who had lost children and pregnancies. Um, I joined the local support group for lost parents. Um, we planted a tree on Mother's Day in honor of our baby. Um, Zach and I would take a walk after work every evening for months and talk about everything, like how we were processing, how we were dealing. Um, and I read every article on grieving pregnancy loss. <laughs> um, we lit candles on anniversaries. I started doing yoga, meditating, eating healthy again. Um, and then one of the things too was, um, if we like to binge watch TV, but it felt like every show that we were watching had a pregnancy in it and I just couldn't watch it. <laughs> and so Zach was really sweet. And one thing he would do is he would put on Disney movies in the background for me to kind of zone out to, you know, cause they tend to not have pregnancies in them. And um, the one he played the most was, was Alice in Wonderland. So that's like always what would um, just kind of make me feel better when I was grieving. And so we went to this um, local group for lost parents. They actually do a couple of things. So they match you up with somebody who's going through a similar loss to you. So you can talk to them once a week, like just on the phone one-to-one. -one. But they also have like a three-month support group that's like led by another lost parent and a counselor. Um, and so we met some of our best friends in this group. Um, we met another couple who had a living child. And when we met them, we had each only had one loss and now we've gone on to have several losses. So they have been um, an incredible source of support throughout this. Um, but the group was just so helpful because it just gave almost like a structure I guess, to our loss, because like every week there were like different topics, like sharing your stories or like, what are the physical symptoms of grief or how do you manage the crappy things that other people say? Or like one week we painted mason jars so that we could put candles in them and light those on anniversaries. So like this group was just like amazing. And I felt like it was like exactly what we needed. And so like at the end of the three months, like we definitely weren't done grieving, but I just felt like we were like, we were on the right path for healing, if that makes sense. Um, and then besides the grief, like one of the biggest things I obviously wanted to know was like, why did this happen? Like, and how can we make sure it never happens again? 
so I feel like I did like a ton of research in the following weeks, which Pinterest was surprisingly helpful on. Like I felt like when I was Googling things, I'd only find a few things, but if you search in Pinterest, just like you're searching Google, like, I feel like there were all these stories about like what tests to ask for. Like, what really? Yeah. <laughs> Which I was That's not That's interesting. Expecting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like I found most of my information there. And so when I went back to my OB, I had, you know, a list 10 miles long of here's everything I want to ask for. Um, oh, I'm sure they just hate us. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's like, here, you went to seven years of school, but this is what I found on Pinterest. <laughs> but really, exactly. you have to do it. <laughs> you do. I mean, it's your life. Like, I, I get yeah. both sides, but I'm still going to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was really lucky. So I love my regular OB and she was, I was, I, I went in there like ready to fight for these. And she was just like, yeah, she's like, we'll do whatever test you want. Um, before I'd even gotten like a quarter through my list. So then it was like a lot more calm, like going through the rest of the list. Um, but she said, you know, especially since you had a loss after 10 weeks, she's like, I don't mind doing like everything, like an entire recurrent loss panel, anything you can think of. Um, so we did like, a whole panel of tests. Um, and we did come back with one thing. So I came back as hypothyroid, which I know you've talked about before too. Um, and the fact that I have Hashimoto's, um, which is the autoimmune of the thyroid, which can cause hypothyroid. Um, and so that was a struggle for me because I had found out probably two years earlier that I had, um, hypothyroid, but that I was at a doctor for a different reason. And that doctor assured me over and over again, like, you don't need to treat it. There's nothing wrong. It won't cause any problems in your life. Like, don't worry about it. And because I was there for something else, I didn't think anything of it. So I had a lot of guilt later, like looking back, like, should I have pushed, you know, like, would I have found out that it can cause miscarriage? Um, and so my levels were, I think around like a 4.5. So like, not good for pregnancy. <laughs> um, and then we also got the genetic results back. And that's when we found out we had a genetically normal baby girl. Um, so in our minds, you know, we found the reason, which was an autoimmune disease with hypothyroid. And we were told to wait three months to start trying. And in that three months, we were just looking for an endocrinologist who would help us control my levels, you know, below a 2.5. Like the first endocrinologist I went to, she was like, your levels are fine. And like, just completely dismissed me. Um, and so I found another endocrinologist who um, is much more up on his research. And he's, he definitely keeps your levels below a 2.5, but he likes to keep them closer to a one. And the, the nice thing was finding him too. Like, not only was he the first doctor who took me seriously, he like fixed my dose before I even went in to see him. Cause he's like, your dose is so wrong. Um, but then he was also, um, he went to school at the university of Iowa. So it was like a fun little connection. Cause that's where me and my husband had met. Um, and so like during this time too, like, I feel like I got really obsessed with like numbers and statistics. Um, and so hyperemesis happens in like less than 2% of pregnancies and tylosin happens in less than 2% of pregnancies and losses at 11 weeks happens in less than 2% of pregnancies. And it was just making me feel like I can't trust numbers and I'm extremely unlucky, like unlucky. <laughs> um, 
so I guess I've gotten to the point too, like where when I read medical stuff and I see like statistics, like I, they just have no meaning to me now. <laughs> um, but we were going through this and we had waited the three months to start trying and we decided, okay, we're going to try again. We, you know, we know the reason we have an endocrinologist who's, who's going to help us now. Um, and it took three cycles to get pregnant, which I know is like not a long time at all. But I feel like when you're trying every day is a long time <laughs> um, or it feels that way. Um, and so I started getting positive pregnancy tests again in late 20, September 2016. And I started getting nauseous that same day. Um, but then I was testing every day and they started to get lighter and I started to feel less nauseous. So I went to my OB to confirm and I did like the HCG testing over two days. Um, and so the afternoon that they called me to tell me like my HCG levels had gone down and that I would be miscarrying, like I had just started bleeding like an hour before she called. So I was like, yep, I know. Um, and so that was our second loss. And I'm like, well, now like something's wrong. Like this isn't, this wasn't a one-off, like the doctors keep saying it doesn't appear to be the Hashimoto's like what's going on. And so there's a local fertility doctor in town, um, who you can like on his main website, you can email him, you know, obviously with the intent to like set up an appointment, but I emailed him on like a Friday afternoon saying, you know, Hey, I've just had my second loss. Like, can you help me? Like, are you willing to do more tests? Like, you know, pretty much like help. <laughs> and he emailed me back like on a Friday night, like explaining like what all he'd be willing to do and that he'd be happy to help us. He still thinks we'd be successful. And it was just so nice to have like a doctor who I wasn't even his patient yet. Just take the time to like message me on a Friday night with this long detailed email that just made me feel like, okay, somebody's got my back. Like we can have a plan going forward. Um, so I wasn't feeling very hopeful at this point about the pregnancy part, but I decided I was sick of waiting and we were going to try right off of the miscarriage. So like two weeks after I miscarried, I ovulated, we tried and we got pregnant. Um, so I didn't wind up needing to go see the fertility doctor at this point. Um, so I immediately started getting nauseous and that developed into hyperemesis again. Um, and this pregnancy was like very similar to my first, um, as far as symptoms and like how often I was hospitalized, medicated, that sort of thing. So at seven weeks, we went into the OB for our first ultrasound. Um, and this was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Um, so a little bit of background. I was born on Thanksgiving, the year I was born. So I use that as an excuse to host every year. So I have all of our families come to me. Um, so my whole family was arriving the day after um, that Tuesday where we were supposed to have the ultrasound. Um, and when they took us back into the ultrasound room, I was crying and like kind of shaking and like a different ultrasound uh, tech who I'd never seen before walked in and she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, well, you know, I've had two previous miscarriages, so I'm really scared. Um, so she didn't really respond and she just began the ultrasound and she turned the screen away from us and looked for maybe 20 seconds and told us, nope. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> And she's like, you know, she's like, I don't see a baby. She's like, I see something, but it's way smaller than you should be. Like, you know, you're having another loss. Um, and so 
she took us back to the OB and I'm like crying because, you know, this is our third loss now. Um, and our OB sat us down and told us like that she was sorry and that she would check again the following week, like after the holidays to make sure that it wasn't just too early. But since I knew my dates and since she knew that I was a perfectionist about this date, um, to probably not have hope about this one. So like I went through Thanksgiving, I went through my birthday, like just thinking, you know, no, we've lost another one. Um, and I was still very sick. Like the hyperemesis did not go away at all. If anything, it was getting worse. Um, and so it just all felt really cruel. And I emailed the fertility doctor again and said, Hey, I just had my third loss. Like, can I come in? Please, like, can I make an appointment? And so he called me on a Sunday afternoon and was like, who did your ultrasound? And I told him the name of the lady. And he's like, unless this person did your ultrasound, he's like, I wouldn't trust it yet. He's like, I'm going to help you no matter what, but you know, hold out for a little hope. And he just like kind of kept help keep me together over the weekend. Um, so we go in on the Monday after the holidays, like all of our families have left. Um, and we go into the appointment, you know, thinking it's over. Um, and being in the office was just obviously awful because you're in there with all these other pregnant women who are like so excited with their little pictures and you're like happy for them, but like really sad for you. Um, and you know, this is like our confirmation appointment to go in for another DNC. Um, so we went back to having our regular ultrasound tech, the one who had given us the bad news originally, but had, you know, taken such, such good care of me and um, been so supportive of us. Um, and she goes to do the transvaginal ultrasound again and immediately we see a baby on the screen and she goes somebody's home and uh and that's when we saw our rainbow baby's heartbeat for the first time so that's an adorable response yeah isn't it yeah so we just love her <laughs> Like, even though she's given us terrible news, she's also given us the best news of our life and, like, been equally supportive through both of those. Um, and so I had severe hyperemesis until I was 22 weeks where I was hospitalized, at least weekly. Um, and then I had, like, what I would call sort of manageable hyperemesis and tylosin until I was two weeks postpartum. Um, and like the day after I gave birth, I weighed the same amount as the day I got pregnant because I never gained any weight. I just gained my daughter. Um, so it took a little while to like heal after that too. Like the other day I looked at pictures of like right after she was born and I look, I look sick. <laughs> like I look gaunt. It's, it's not pretty. Um, but thank goodness we, we had her um, and we named her Alice. Um, because he had used watching Alice in Wonderland after our first loss to cheer me up. So that was like a nod to our, to our first daughter. Um, and I spent the whole pregnancy with her, like terrified that I was going to lose her. And later on, like when, you know, you should be feeling movements, like whenever I wouldn't feel her for a little while, I'd like poke her, like poor kid just got poked all the time oh yeah my mom used to say she's like you're gonna bruise him and I'm like right. I don't care <laughs> exactly they could be bruised as long as they're kicking yeah um and so I always joke that like that's why she's such a good sleeper because she's used to being poked every time she sleeps 
<laughs> so like thankfully after like everything we went through to have her like being so difficult having such difficult pregnancies having losses everything like I was like I deserve to have an easy baby this is nice <laughs> um so it probably took me like a month after we had her not to feel like we were gonna lose her um like that's when I finally started to like I feel like breathe again like I hadn't breathed in like over a year <laughs> um and I was able to take a year off of work with her and it was hands down the best year of my entire life like I loved it and after that year I went back to work um my career had been a bit derailed <laughs> from my first loss and then being out with Alice um so I went back into a year-long role to demonstrate that I was ready to be promoted um and I actually reported to to my friend who had um who I had met in the lean in circle who had been so supportive after my first loss so it was really nice to go back and like work with somebody who who I was you know good friends with um and so 10 months into that role I was promoted and we were also midway through building uh, a house and getting ready to sell our old house and move because we were moving to get into a better school district and so I decided hey why not throw a pregnancy in there too so we decided to start trying for another baby. Um, so that brings me to my latest, my fourth pregnancy. So I feel like my fourth pregnancy was like the cruelest case of deja vu. Um, we got pregnant the first cycle of trying, like we did with our first. Uh, my nausea came on fast and strong, and the tylism started super early, like five weeks. I was already spitting. Um, and this time we got like a lot more aggressive and proactive with my medical care. Um, so I got a pick line, which is pretty much like a semi-permanent, um, IV line. So they put, um, a line in through your arm that goes all the way to the vein that goes into your heart. And so that can stay in for months. So that was nice not having to get poked for an IV every three days. And especially because once you use your veins so much, they start to blow. So then I didn't actually have any veins left where they could put in fluid, which is also why we got the pick line. Um, and so for this pregnancy, I was pregnant at the same time as two of like my mom friends that I had met in mommy and me classes with Alice. So we all had toddlers that were within a few months of each other. And now we were all going to have younger siblings within a few months of each other. And so we were all just like really excited, you know, cause that was like my mom tribe and you know, this, we were all gonna do it together. Um, and so this pregnancy was really difficult. Like the others had been just from being so sick. Um, it got, to, this one got to the point where the only thing I was able to eat every day was like one plain potato. <laughs> that was all I ate. Um, and I was suffering from some depression from being on bed rest. And during this time, like, I couldn't hold Alice without throwing up. And, you know, it's hard because she didn't understand why mommy wasn't playing with her anymore. Um, but I kept reminding myself, like, it's going to be worth it in the end. Um, and so, like, with my history, like, I was so grateful to be pregnant and for it to, you know, seeming to be going well. But at the same time, like, I have no quality of life when I'm pregnant. Like I've spent over a year and a half of my life 
debilitatingly pregnant, like on bed rest now. Um, and so each week we saw um, the baby during checkups. Again, always a strong heartbeat, always measuring on time. Um, and of course, you know, I always have it in the back of my mind, like, you know, could I have another loss? But since we treated my thyroid and my autoimmune, you know, and we had successfully just had Alice, you know, I thought we had it figured out. And so we went for a routine appointment that they scheduled right before our 12 week ultrasound, like 10 minutes before our 12 week ultrasound. And again, my regular OB wasn't there. So we went with an, a different male OB in the practice. And we talked about my hyperemesis. Um, and we were waiting in the same waiting rooms. And it, it's funny, like what you notice, like the wallpaper that I stared at, like while we were getting the bad news the first time, it was the same wallpaper that we were staring at when we got the bad news this latest time. And they were playing the same music on their intercom. And he brought out the Doppler and he thought he caught it at first, but then couldn't find the heartbeat. So I felt like that gave me kind of like false hope, like, oh, you know, like I have a tilted uterus, like it's fine. He said he thought he heard it at the beginning. You know, I'm not freaking out as much as I usually do during Dopplers and ultrasounds because I'm just waiting for them to tell me everything's okay. Um, but then he brought out the handheld ultrasound um, and he said he couldn't see the heartbeat and he showed me the screen and, you know, I could see it and, you know, we've, we've been here before. I know what I'm looking at. And so like last time I had been saying over and over again, like, no, 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 no. And like this time I was saying over and over again, not again, not again, not again. Like this can't be happening again. And so I knew what this meant. And he said he was going to have us go to the big ultrasound to make sure, I guess that's what they just tell people that practice not to have them freak out before they go to the ultrasound room and get the bad news. Um, and so like I asked him like really sarcastically, like, I had an attitude. I was like, you know, is there any chance? And he said, well, we'll go check. And I was like, so that means no. Um, but we went to the big ultrasound room and it was our favorite ultrasound tech. So that was, you know, a little bit of a silver lining of at least we had somebody supportive there. Um, and she held me again after that ultrasound. And like this time, I just, I felt like I knew better to how to advocate for myself. Like I asked for the procedure the next day. Um, I asked for an ultrasound picture because last time they didn't give me one and I had to go back later and get one. Cause like, you know, like at the time you're not thinking of that, but later I was like, you know, that's the only picture I have of my baby. Like I want that. Um, so I was able to get that then. Um, the doctor asked if I wanted a Xanax and I was like, yep, <laughs> just bring that right along. Um, and he said, I'm going to give you a low dose because I bet you're a, bitty, a pretty cheap drunk right now. <laughs> I'm like, okay. okay. Um, and so more of like what I said, like it just feels like the crappy deja vu that never ends. So the same surgery scheduler who told me it wasn't my fault or her fault that I was having a bad day called me to schedule the DNC. And I just like tried to get off the phone with her as fast as possible because I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> Um, and then it was the same OB who had performed my first DNC, who's going to perform the next one, whose bedside manner I just hated. Um, and so again, we went home and we walked around to the back porch to sit and talk. We called our immediate family members to tell them the news. And in the DNC the next day, it was the same anesthesiologist. Um, although I had a different anesthesiologist nurse, um, and they were also sweet because they all knew my history. Um, 
and the the OB was actually a lot better this time like his bedside manner was like dramatically improved I think he knew like because I had had like a second loss I don't know he was just like a lot more serious and was like we've got to stop meeting like this and he's just like he was so supportive that it it kind of helped um and I had a different anesthesiologist nurse and she was just like you've been through a lot she's like we're gonna give you all the good drugs she's like I'm gonna be your fairy drug mother <laughs> which I thought was funny <laughs> so they prepped me for surgery did all the same prep as last time and I just remember being rolled back again uh starting to cry and then everything going dark um and then again it took two symptom two weeks for all my symptoms to go away um so weeks after this we got our genetic results back again um this time we had a genetically normal baby boy um and i'd say this time i struggled a lot more with depression than i had in the past um and i was very resistant to the grief process like i feel like last time i was like hey i'm gonna embrace this i'm gonna grieve i'm gonna let all my feelings out I'm, you know i'm gonna go through this journey i'm gonna get better and this time i was just like i've already done this i have no interest in doing this again like i know what this looks like for the coming months and i just felt so overwhelmed and so like resistant um and you know we had lost not only another baby but I had just lost months with my daughter for a sibling that she would never get to meet. Um, I talked to my therapist a lot. Um, we talk about compounding grief. So like when you have another loss, you know, you're not just grieving the loss that you just had, you're grieving the losses you've had before. So, you know, a lot of times it feels like I'm grieving three losses right now. Um, and I'm always just surprised too by some of the feelings. Like I feel like going into it, I expected to feel sad and angry and, you know, different emotions. But like what I didn't expect was to just feel so anxious all the time and to feel like the other shoe was always just about to drop, which is also crazy because I feel like you just got the worst news. Like what else am I like waiting for? Um, but, you know, life, life doesn't stop. And, you know, sometimes now I just feel like I'm kind of going through the motions like I even went to a baby shower the other day which I don't think I could have done this soon after my first loss um and there was a guest there and she didn't know but she asked me and my mom friends you know we had said oh yeah you know we all met in this hospital group so she asked if we all had two kids and I have no idea how I held it together because in my head I'm like nope I have four children and three are dead but cool <laughs> like I just feel like there are so many like uncomfortable situations now. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is just, you know, I think loss really changes the relationships you have with the people around you. Um, you know, some for the better, some for the worse. Like I have a lot of family members who are really uncomfortable talking about pregnancy loss and grief. Um, and so they don't like to talk to me about my losses. And so I feel like, you know, I've kind of pulled away because I, I need to talk about my losses. Like, these are my kids. This is my life. I, I can't just pretend this didn't happen. Um, and then I think maybe I do too good of a job sometimes acting like I'm okay around other people because I feel like some of my friends and coworkers think I'm doing great uh, to the point where they really don't ask me anymore how things are going. 
and you know, this happened three months ago now. Um, but you know, sometimes they say like insensitive things about second babies. Um, but like my good friend, um, who I have at work, um, she's just continued to be super supportive. Um, she kind of helps me navigate work while I'm just a complete mess. But she's also just been a really good friend and, you know, will take me out to dinner and talk to me about everything I'm going through and, you know, just let me get it all out. So I'm just super grateful for her. Um, but one of the things that was hard this time too is that local support group for lost parents. Like I was just, the day it happened, I was like, I've got to do that again. Like that's, that's what helps me. That was so helpful last time. I've got to do this. Um, and so this is an organization that's been around in our community for over 15 years. And two weeks after we lost our son, they closed permanently due to funding. So like, I felt like that was just like another loss on top of everything. Um, so I found that it's been really hard to feel like parts of my support system are gone this time. Um, and I've definitely been like struggling with feelings of feeling more alone than I did the first time. But one thing that I think is better is so I had my first loss three years ago. And even comparing then to now, I just think people are so much more willing to talk about miscarriage and loss. And it just, I don't know if happy is the right word, but it makes me kind of happy because like last time it was, I was so alone and I just still felt like it was so taboo. And you know, it's not where it needs to be yet, but it's exciting to see that like, people don't think it's as taboo. Like when I went back to work this time, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm telling everybody like, this is what happened. I'm not going to hide it. Um, and I just got a lot more support than I did the first time around in that way. Um, and you know, Zach has been very supportive again, but with how crazy our lives are, like we're actively in the middle of a move right now. Like we are haven't sold our old house. We're in the new house. We're like moving things over, you know, work is crazy. We have a toddler. So like, sometimes we just have to be like really creative to find time to like step away and grieve and talk and like heal. Cause otherwise like the whole day will just sweep you away. Um, and so the other thing that's been really helpful for me is therapy. So like the first time around we saw a grief counselor um at hospice and I found out this time too that she no longer works there so it's like what am I going to do where are my where are my people where are my resources um but my current therapist I'd actually been seeing her for a few months before I got pregnant with my son um and I just I I've really enjoyed going to her but I didn't know how she would be with grief specifically because that you know that's not her that's not what I went to her for. So I just had no idea. But the day that we lost our son, I emailed her because she knew I was going to, um, I had met with her the day before um, on Skype because I couldn't leave the bed. Um, but I emailed her and I was just like, we just lost the baby. And she fit me in for an appointment that evening. Um, and she's just been one of the biggest helps in this part of my journey. Like, I really recommend therapy to anybody who's open to it. <laughs> it's very helpful, um, especially when you find the right person to talk to. Um, so that brings us kind of to today. Um, we are trying again. Um, we've actually pretty much been trying since, since it happened. Um, our doctor told us to wait three cycles. Um, and she said that for 
a normal person, she would tell them to wait one, but because of my hyperemesis and because I had lost a lot of weight, she would wait three, but I don't know. I just couldn't wait. So yeah, none of us can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, if it's just me, it's fine. Like if the baby's going to be fine, I, you know, bring yeah. it on. <laughs> so unfortunately we just found out yesterday that, you know, I got my period. We're not pregnant this cycle either. Um, but the fertility specialist that has been so kind and has reached out to me so many times before I've even officially ever been his patient. Um, we have our first appointment with him Monday. Oh, good. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay. I feel like you laid out a ton of advice. So I, yeah. I always ask at the end, like, what's your, what's your piece of advice for anybody in a similar situation? Do you have anything else to add? Um, yeah. So like two things. One is if like you have a unique medical situation, like for me, it was hyperemesis, but whatever it is, like, just make sure you have a doctor who's very well versed into it. Um, and make sure you keep looking until you do. Cause I've had some doctors who didn't, that I've happened to see over the time who didn't know things about hyperemesis and like the care they were trying to provide was not adequate. Um, but luckily my main OB is, um, and then the other thing was just something my husband told me during our first loss that was really, really helpful for me. So I just wanted to share it. Um, so I feel like grief and depression make me think really negative things and sometimes like unrealistic things. Um, you know, especially when it comes to like blaming yourself or just being really, I would just be really hard on myself or think, you know, is it my fault or, you know, do we just not deserve another baby or just, you know, just really, I guess, unkind things towards myself. Um, and he said like a way to check myself is like, imagine if your best friend was going through this and they said that to you, like what, how would it be different how you're responding? And it would be totally different, right? Like you wouldn't tell those things to your best friend. You'd be super supportive. And so like, how do you show that like love to yourself that you would show people you care about deeply? So like anytime I'm like having those negative spirals, I feel like his advice kind of always pops into my head. That's great advice. Your your husband seems awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. No, he seems really good, like really cool and really supportive, which is great to hear. Um, now, if somebody wants to reach out, is Instagram the best way? It is. Yeah, I have okay. it private, but just message me, and I'd be happy to talk to anybody. Awesome. I will link that in the description. Thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your story today. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes. I will talk to you soon. Keep me updated. Okay. Will do. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.